Welcome to Arvind's People, where I, Arvind Tomasabi, get to talk to some of my favorite people. And I'm here with the amazing Sergeant Fardoon. Hello. Hello. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good, too. So today we're going to talk about, I think it's safe to say, one of your and my favorite movies. Definitely. Based on the book by Cormac McCarthy called No Country for Old Men. You know, the I mean, this movie has, if you look at it on first glance, it's, it, I mean, it's a pretty straightforward movie um, of one man tra- chasing another one in pursuit of money. But would you say it has a lot of deeper symbolism, um, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I agree. There's a lot of um, uh, deeper com- complex uh, themes in the film. And the film is definitely like a, an oddity, I'd say, because it, it does take some unconventional paths that kind of, that really tell you that this is a really one of a kind film. And it really signals that this film means a lot more than what meets than what meets the eye. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I agree. I think the Coen brothers, you know, did a really good job. You know, they're, they're, they're a pair of really good directors. And I think, you know, this is their, their crowning achievement. So in this movie, you follow, you mostly follow the character of Llewellyn Moss, played by Josh Brolin. And he, he finds a case of money. And basically the movie is him running away from a man pursuing him called, whose name is Anton Chigurh, who's played by, played by Javier Bardem. And Sheriff Bell is chasing Anton Chigurh because uh, Sheriff Bell played by Tommy Lee Jones is chasing Anton Chigurh because Anton Chigurh is a criminal. So, and he also wants to protect Llewellyn uh, Moss as well. So, you know, you got a lot, you got one person chasing another person, one person chasing another person. And that, that's kind of the premise of the movie. If you look at super, you look at it superficially, but you know, each character has, you know, really it's, they're layered in different, in different types, different themes, different symbolism. And I think, you know, the first layer of that is that uh, the story, although it, it, you're mostly following Llewellyn as this main character, but in reality, the story is being told by Sheriff Bell, wouldn't you say? Right, because um, on multiple occasions throughout the film, um, it's always Sheriff Bell stumbling upon the events after you saw them occur with Llewellyn or uh, Anton Chigurh. Like, for example, when he enters into the the uh, Llewellyn's trailer or his like apartment where he thinks a- Anton might be in there, Sheriff Bell is always coming to the scene after the events of the movie have played out already. So I think it's representing the fact that he is most definitely the main character, even though the movie would lead you to believe in the beginning that Llewellyn is the protagonist of the film. Yeah, and I think if you look at it from a different lens, you can see how maybe this is, instead of a story of Llewellyn running away from Anton, it is a story of the of a sheriff finding out that it's his time to retire, hence the title No Country for Old Men. because. Right. I mean, when you look at Sheriff Bell, he really is, a, he's, a, he's a really, in the movie, he's a really, um, he's a man of morality, you know, he's a, he's a good person. And being a sheriff, you would assume that, that that's, that's an asset, to be a good person, that is an asset. Somehow he's finding it harder and harder to do his job in the line of duty. And he, he's finding it increasingly difficult as he gets older to understand the world around him as it is. Um, I mean, he believes, I remember one moment specifically in the movie um, where his outdated ideas come to the surface where he's talking to this other sheriff, right? And um, he's calling, he's talking about how it all went downhill when kids stopped calling their parents sir, which is obviously an outdated idea. 
I mean, even when this movie takes place, which is, I think, when does it take place? In the 80s? Yeah, 1980s. The 1980s, where you could see, I mean, that idea was still kind of, it was still kind of prevalent, but it, it's kind of, it, it was becoming an outdated idea, kids calling their parents sirs. And, you know, those types of moments are what lead him, it, what leads him to eventually retire at the end of the movie. But I think the main reason why he's retiring is that he just, since he can't understand the world around him, he feels powerless. Right. Um, and I think it's uh, important that we mentioned that at the end of the film, uh, he speaks with this, uh, I think it was an old acquaintance of his. I don't know if he was, I think he was a sheriff. Uncle, I, think. I think it was his uncle. Yeah, I think it was his uncle. But he, I mean, they indicate that he had some like experience, like he was probably some sort of lawman or something. But anyway, he was already retired and basically Sheriff Bell goes to speak to him and, you know, Sheriff Bell, you know, explains to him that, oh, he feels powerless. You know, I, you know, I, I just don't understand the world around me anymore. And, you know, this guy explains that like, um, like, I think it was like 70 or 80 years ago that like, uh, like, I think a relative of his was, uh, you know, was also a sheriff and was murdered by a bunch of like by a bunch of like outlaw gang members so basically his point being is that the world was always as um crazy was always as crazy as it is now it's just that how you perceive things matters right and i think that you know when you see how he reacts at the end of the movie when you say he's always stumbling upon events after they happen when he stumbles right. upon the death of Llewellyn at the end, you know, it really shows how powerless he is to stop the events going on around him. Oh yeah. We and, should also say that, you know, spoilers. So yeah. you should watch yeah. the um, Yeah. And I think, I can't remember when he says this quote, but it's really, it's a really good one. It's a really powerful one. And it's that uh, the problem is not the existence of evil, but it is that people willingly participate in it. And I think that really, you know, encapsulates his, his ideals um, really well. But Sheriff Bell, I mean, he's, the whole movie, he's just, he's just one step behind um, Anton Sugar. And I think, I think most of this movie's intrigue comes from Anton. Right. I think, uh, I think even just like the second he's introduced, you can tell something's off about him. Like, you know, his appearance is odd. His hair doesn't like, quite match his face or anything his clothes don't really you know fit me he's like a cold blank stare he's like a low deep voice and everything everything about him is just signaling to the audience that this is someone that you should be worried of even even his accent is it's not a, it's obviously not american because i don't i think javier bardin is from spain but you know it just puts you off everything about him just puts you off a little bit yeah we're never told his origin or his background. You just kind of left to assume like his entire persona, I'd say is one of kind of like of ambiguity. Like you just don't know who he is. Right. Exactly. I guess- and I, I do remember one specific moment in the movie where somebody asks him where he's from. And he says, doesn't matter. It does like, it does, like where he's from doesn't matter. Um, right. And I think, you know, I think Shigur, it really is. He's a really intimidating villain, I think. Right. And I think just kind of like what you mentioned there, I think he's like, he's supremely dedicated to getting the job done and anything that's like 
irrelevant like asking where you're from he just doesn't care about it. it's completely insignificant to him he's not interested in small talk and I think that's kind of what encapsulates his uh, character is that he's just he's dedicated to hunting you know whoever he's going after and that's all he cares about right and I think you know it, it, it shows how much he cares he only cares about getting the job done in that he doesn't care that he's killing people he doesn't care about people you know if Right. If uh, if he's not getting paid, then people are dead to him. And if he is getting paid, then they're basically just fodder from the kill. And right. I think that shows because he uses the, the gun that he uses to kill people. It's a cattle yeah. gun. Right. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty much a metaphor for how he thinks of people. Right. He views them like as cattle, like less than human. He doesn't even care that, you know, he murders innocent people. I think. I think you could view Anton as kind of like a personification like of death, at least in the beginning of the film. Yeah, I mean, wherever he goes, wh- I mean, whenever he's he's in a scene, I mean, somebody, pretty much somebody dies. Um, right. And I think, you know, the, the way that he views uh, fate is really interesting, especially when you when you take into account the, his use of the coin, the coin toss. Definitely. Um actually uh brings me to one of my points is that um i kind of believe that uh and many other people believe this too but they they see uh they believe that anton views himself as kind of like an agent of fate or like destiny and he like justifies his killings by believing that they were meant to happen along the way you can kind of see this uh when he interacts with the owner of the gas station right i think that that is probably my favorite scene in the movie you know it's so tense when yeah. Anton walks in the gas scene, the, sorry, the gas station, and he starts talking to the clerk, and the clerk's asking him questions, and and oh, then uh, and then Anton reverses it. He starts asking the clerk, clerk questions. Why did you or like did you build this gas station? Is it yours? And he says no. Right. I married into it, and it's just it's so tense because one, there's no music in the whole movie. Actually, there's no music, which I think right. is very a very interesting choice. And also, you get you get the increasing feeling that this guy is going to die. Right. Um, Anton gets kind of annoyed by the man's small talk, and he kind of, and at that point, and when he hears of that, he, like, married into the business, that also kind of annoys Anton. So at that point, he decides to make that man a victim. And then he proceeds to kind of, like, you know, flip a coin to decide the man's fate. The man claims he doesn't, like, put anything up you know, to bet because he's unaware that the coin toss is like a matter of life or death for him. Right. Cause Anton just flips a coin and then he puts it on the table and he says, call it. And the, the man says, well, I didn't put anything up. Right. And then uh, Anton replies by basically saying that he's been putting it up his entire life. And he basically, uh, he proceeds to say this uh, quote, he says, you stand to win everything, call it referring to the coin toss. Right. And by everything, he means life. Basically, at least from the way I interpret it, interpreted it, um, Anton is basically when he says putting it up his entire life, he's saying that every decision, all the guy's ethics, all his morals, every decision he's ever made has led him to this moment, and basically fate is deciding whether he lives or dies on that day. Now, of course, the man doesn't understand like the weight of a coin toss. He's just kind of confused by what's going on because Anton is such a strange character, but. I think it's really representative of uh, 
kind of the way Anton's philosophy, the way he views things. Really. And I think this scene is really important in the movie because the, the clerk does not actually die despite all the tension, despite, you know, Anton clearly disliking the man. He, he doesn't die. And that's really important because it shows that Anton, do, he doesn't just kill people because he likes it. He has a distinct morality that he follows. He, just, he follows whether he wants to or not, but he follows it. I yeah, think that's really important. Yeah, he follows it with with great conviction. That's a that's a great point, and you know he's careful in his approach. He never kills unnecessarily, and he's obsessed with using the one right tool for a job. And that kind of brings me to my next point, is that um, in one scene later in the film, he shoots the he shoots his employer for giving the Mexican cartel a receiver to kind of help search for the briefcase alongside him. Now after shooting his employer. Um, Anton claims that you only need one right tool to complete a job and that it was foolish to think that hiring more people uh, to search was better. Now, Anton's dedicated belief, uh, dedicated to the belief that you only utilize the most effective tool to complete an assignment. And for that belief, he's willing to kill for it. Now, you can also make that argument um, when he kills those two guys at the scene of the, uh, the drug deal gone bad. Um, you know, he kills those two guys. The two for all, Yeah, because he doesn't want to, he believes that they were ineffective tools, right? He doesn't right, want because to. Because at the beginning of the movie, um, when, when Llewellyn gets the, the case of money, he, uh, he runs off. And then I think it's that night, the police come to the shootout with Anton. Anton leaves them there. Or does he, does he meet them there? No, no, those guys aren't police. Those are, those guys are from the same company as the employer. They're helping right, search, right. Anton, but he kills them anyway. Because um, he believes them to be ineffective. Right. So basically the point is, is he only believes in the one right tool. And basically throughout the film, Anton kind of shows that, you know, uh, it's pretty clear that he's calm, collected, he's stealthy, he's ruthless, but he shows an obvious lack of emotion when he kills so basically, he's a psychopath through and through, and he lacks remorse and empathy, which is, I mean, pretty obvious when you watch the film. Yeah, I think, but I think, you know, the fact that, I don't know, that scene with the coin toss and the, the gas station clerk really sticks with me because it's just such an important scene that shows that if you win the coin toss, if fate decides that you should live, in Anton's eyes, obviously, then... He'll, he'll do nothing. He can't do anything about it in his eyes. He feels like, like, like when he flips the coin and it comes down the wrong choice, then he feels it is his duty to enact justice and kill that person. It feels like it, he feels like it is his job. Like he must do it no matter what. Right. I think, you know, that kind of brings me to my next point is that um, at the end of the movie, um, Anton, the you know the supposed agent agent of fate, is almost killed in a random car accident at the end of the movie. I mean, this, we're kind of jumping around a bit, but you know right. this anticlimactic uh, ending proves that you know Anton is just as subject to kind of like the unpredictability of life as any other man, right? And I also think I also think it symbolizes uh, a coin toss for Anton. Like it, Anton doesn't flip a coin. But it symbolizes that he won the coin toss. That it's not, even though he views himself as a bringer of fate or like a bringer of someone's destiny, 
he is subject to it too and he has shown that he will that he does pass the test by surviving the car crash even though there's a bone sticking out of his arm at the end um see i i mean i i kind of agree with that but i i think the way i interpreted it was that you know that event just him getting hit randomly by a car kind of like completely like dispels his his you know his theory of him being like an agent of like destiny or anything because um it's also like really the only moment in the film where he's truly vulnerable as he's always in control for the most part. Like they kind of, the way they uh, uh, frame him as a character throughout the film, he's almost like, it's almost like he's not even a human being. Like he's some sort of uh, like a devil. Like, like, yeah. He personifies like he's, uh, he's not just like a character. He's, he represents something more. But then uh, the ending, just him getting hit by the car, it kind of brings him down to size that he's just as human as anybody else. He's just as vulnerable as any other uh, person. That makes sense. And I think that kind of goes with, you know, throughout the whole movie, he's flipping the coin for other people. But this time it's fate that's flipping the coin for him. Right. And then he gets, and then he gets hit by the car. But since, that he, since he survived, it shows that he won the coin toss, like metaphorically. Um, and before he gets hit by the car, he goes to Llewellyn's wife's house. And I think this is also an important part of the movie where, it, depending on how you view it, you can see it as enacting hope or being the, uh, the like someone squandering that hope for a better future where Carla Jean, before, when uh, Anton flips the coin, to kill her, obviously, she says to call it, and she refuses to call it. And she says, um, "You don't have to do this." But Anton says, "Yes, I do. I have to do this." And I think it's really important because the fact that she doesn't call it, and the fact that she says, "You don't have to do this," is like hope that you know Anton's beliefs aren't necessarily the the set in stone beliefs that everyone should have. Um, and uh, but then you can also look at it as Carla Jean dies at the end. And so right. you can see that he's, he's squandering any type of, uh, you know, any type of chance that that hope gets out. Um, yeah, that event is actually an interesting departure from the book. Cause from what I, from what I know in the book, uh, she actually does call the, the coin toss, but she, she calls wrong and she, she still ends up getting killed. But in the movie, she doesn't call it at all, which I think was a was actually a pretty good choice. So do I. I believe that, I believe that it it, uh, it calls him the it, it calls him the question Sugar's character and his morality when she doesn't call it, because it's like what does he do? Because yeah. if she doesn't call the coin, she doesn't call the coin, then he can't. Then she's not right or wrong, you know. Um, but he ends up killing her anyways, and then I think. Obviously, you view Shigur as the embodiment of death in the movie. Right. I think that's that's all the more present when Woody Harrelson is introduced as a character. And obviously, Woody Harrelson is a very, is a very famous actor, and he dies after only ten minutes of screen time. Which I think is very it's a very interesting choice because Woody Harrelson is a very charismatic character or a very charismatic actor, and in the movie. By the by, the way he carries himself, you get the sense that he's he's really good at his job. Like he might be the best at his job. It's not exactly stated what his job is. You assume it's something similar to what Anton Chigurh does. Um, yeah. But, 
they even mentioned that they knew each other. Like in the book, they make it pretty clear that like that they've known each other before. So it makes it all the more uh, makes it all the more strange because it's like, you know, he should know Anton Chigur. He should know what type of person he is. So it just makes the later events a little bit more uh, disheartening. Yeah, and I think the fact that he dies, despite being, you know, the best at his job, a very famous actor, very charismatic person, it shows that death will come for anyone without prejudice. Like, right. It doesn't matter if you're famous, it doesn't matter if you're rich, whatever, death will come after you all the same. I think we've seen that a lot, you know, in the last year with, uh, with a lot of these celebrities dying. And I think that, you know, this particular theme is more ever present than ever really um which i find very interesting it's a you know obviously they couldn't they couldn't have known this would happen but i think it's, it's a pretty interesting thought uh about you know the allegory for death in this movie i think definitely i think um another really good representation of that and also one of the most important events that we should really uh emphasize is you know the scene where uh the Llewellyn dies, or the scene that we lack of Llewellyn exactly. dying. Um, you know, for those who don't know, I can't remember. It was, I think it was like at the end of the film. or like it's, a very, it's, a, it's a pretty much at the end where Llewellyn, he's at this motel. Right. And you don't even see him die. And, he, and Anton Sugar isn't even the one who kills him. Yeah, the cartel kills him. Basically, um, you, you, like, before that point you were following Llewellyn and you basically perceived them as like uh as like a protagonist a main character to follow like like in any traditional uh or like conventional film he would be the character that you follow he would be the character that confronts Anton at the end and has some like uh climax like important fight with him right but in this film um you know he just dies <laughs> he literally yeah. just dies and then uh sheriff bell discovers him dead um, yeah and i think that also shows that you know no one can escape death not even the main character of a movie where you know obviously the trope is the main character always lives at the end the main character you know it's always a good ending but in this movie and in a lot of the coen brothers movie the ending isn't necessarily a happy one i mean it's not necessarily a sad one because i mean you're obviously you be kind of sad that Llewellyn died. I mean, they didn't go through great pains to make you like Llewellyn or love Llewellyn as the main character, but obviously since, you know, but you view Llewellyn as, you know, the quote unquote good guy. And so right. obviously you're a little bit upset to see him die. And in such a, such a backhanded manner, they, they did it right. Because he just dies off screen. Yeah. I think it really enhances the shock value because you just, you just find him yeah. dead. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, and and then and then he like Sheriff Bell just comes after the the scene is over, and he just, you know, he he can't he just can't understand how he couldn't save this person. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think with the movies like portrayal of death, it really takes a a pragmatic approach because you know, as I said that. In any other movie, he would have been like the traditional hero, but he, you know, he just dies and you don't really, after that point, you, you don't even follow him. He's just like, he's just some other dead person that dies in the, in the, in the course of the film's events. Right. And it's not even like, uh, you know, on, on his dead body, they don't even linger on the body. They just kind of like 
they take the camera and they just go over the body really quick. And that's the only time you see him dead. Right. Um, they don't even make like a big deal out of it because in the grand scheme of the world, it isn't necessarily a big deal that one person dies because if people die, you know, it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a weird outlook, but people die every day, you know? So it's yeah, in the movie, you see plenty of, <laughs> plenty of people. Exactly. Are, within like, what's like and, a week. I find it really, really interesting how they treat Llewellyn's death the exact same as they treated like the death of a hotel attendant or a hotel front, uh, front desk attendant where they just do one quick sweep over the body with the camera and that's it. They don't, they don't show yeah, it again. Don't, they don't mention it again. They don't linger on like... Exactly. Because ultimately, as you said, the, the, the story was never really about Llewellyn. It was about Sheriff Bell and how... Uh, his perception of the world, well, <laughs> I guess yeah. you could say. Yeah, I mean, he he can't. I find it so interesting. I, I, I as we're both young people, we're both in our teens. We under we can comprehend the world around us, but in maybe 50, 60 years, will will that still be the same? Will we still feel the same way? Will we still be able to understand everything that's going on? Because, I mean, obviously, in the eighties, you know it was harder to know what was going on in the world and stuff because, but now we have better community technology, but you know, when the world is moving so fast, you often get, you know, old people who don't know how to use computers and stuff like that. And that's not their fault. It's because the world is changing so fast for them now that they cannot comprehend. They they can't understand the world around them. So they can't keep up basically. Right. I think, yeah, I agree. The film really does bring up important, like, questions and, like, themes that, you know, maybe you've never, like, we've never really considered before, like, you know, how change over an extended period of time really affects people and how um, how we should perceive life and death. I don't know. It's, it's just really interesting. Yeah, I agree. And so, I mean, I would really recommend, I've, I've seen this movie a few times. Um, have you seen it how many times? Once, twice? Yeah, twice. Twice. I mean, it gets, it, it's a really slow movie, but for me, it just gets better every time I watch it. And I love Anton Chigurh yeah. even more every time I watch it. Um, I feel, you know, since it's so slow in a good way, right? It's slow in a good way, but it feels, I kind of, it feels like it's two hours, two and a half hours, but it's only two hours flat, which I find very interesting. Um, not in a bad way. It's not, like- it's not, that's not in a bad way. I mean, there are some movies where like the one of the most recent movies I've seen, Wonder Woman 1984, where, you know, it feels like the movie goes on for five hours because it's just so bad. You can't wait for it to end. But, you know, this movie, you, you don't want it to end. You want it to keep going. The, the tension is, is ridiculous. And, you know, not every, not every movie should have no music, but uh, this movie really, it, it, having no music enhances what's going yeah, on. Yeah, the execution is really well done. Like, um, usually when... Uh, movies and like for like a crime thr- thriller like this one is the um, other movies would utilize music like mu- music would be vital to that like because music would like enhance like the uh, kind of the scenes and everything but this movie manages to pull off uh, not having music and it really kind of engrosses you in the film because obviously in real life there's not, there's not like yeah, a there's no music on yeah. soundtrack <laughs> behind you as you do stuff. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. I think it makes it, it, it puts you in the moment more. Like it makes it feel real, and everything in the movie makes you feel like, you know, all these characters feel like real people. Right. Except for maybe Anton, who's a little bit, he's a little bit fictitious, but it works. 
it, it definitely does work because you know he serves a purpose in the film it kind of just it, i mean i know i've said this a lot but it really makes you think about things and not a lot of movies do that right and i do i really do enjoy you know a film that when you when you leave or when you stop watching it makes you think about its questions for a little bit while longer yeah it's definitely subject to a lot of uh, interpretation right unfortunately that's all we have time for today i want to thank sarjun very much for coming and uh, i want to thank you all for listening and that's going to be it see ya